What up, what up? Welcome to episode number 35 of the Spun Today podcast. I'm your host, Tony Ortiz. Thank you very much for listening. This is a free writing episode. And in this episode, I'm going to speak about, uh, aside from the my free writing that I read and reflect on and go over uh, towards the tail end of the episode, I am also going to speak about Thanksgiving, uh, which just passed uh, last Thursday. Uh, today is December 1st when I'm recording this podcast, uh, 2015, and Thanksgiving just passed. I'm going to speak about watching the movies, three movies, True Romance, Hamburger Hill, and Creed. Also, a Vice, I'm going to speak about a Vice uh, uh, episode um, that I recently saw, the one when uh, Obama visited a federal prison. I am taking a photography course online. I'm going to tell you guys a little bit about that. I am also going to speak about Kobe retiring and read you guys two more pieces from the Tao Te Ching that I finally finished and then get into the free writing. So without further ado, I hope you guys had a happy Thanksgiving. I sure did. I spent it with my immediate family like we normally do. My parents, my brother, uh, his girl and my girl, and uh, my new niece, uh, my brother's new daughter, uh, who's one years old. And we had a very nice time here at home all together. And then uh, we went out to do the in-law thing, uh, pretty much. My brother went to his girl's family uh, house, and I went to uh, my sister and my brother-in-law's house. And we had a great time there as well. And I hope you guys did and able to spend time with people that, that you love and care about, uh, which is what the, the holiday should be about. And eating a shitload of food. I fucking love eating in general, um, <laughs> especially Thanksgiving because it's like, a, like a, a free pass to be a gluttonous piece of shit. And I made the turkey, which I've been making, I think this is the third year that I've done it. And for anybody that, that makes it, like, before... Like, I like cooking not, like, all the time. I'm not a fucking chef or anything like that. But I like baking stuff. And I like uh, cooking every once in a while. Um, Like, when I'm in the mood to do it, I'm, like... I, like, really get into it. But it's not, like, something that I want to do every single day. And I... uh, Before I used to look at, like, a turkey or, like, certain dishes. Like, oh, my God. You know, it's something to... To not in my wheelhouse and i don't want to to do it you know so you get scared of it it's like oh it's such a big thing but it's really not the trick to turkey at least in my opinion is to brine it the more you brine it uh the longer you brine it for rather the better and juicier and more tender it will be uh brining for those of you that don't know i didn't know until i started looking up turkey recipes is pretty much you shove a turkey in a bucket or anything that could fully submerge the turkey um, in salt water. And you do that for a day, for two days, three days, as, you know, like I said, the longer you do it, for the better. Um, I think the the actual physiological mechanics of it is that the magnesium from the salt helps break up the, uh, gets soaked up 
uh, with the water and dissolves and gets soaked up by the turkey and it breaks up and, and loosens up the muscle tissues, uh, if that makes any sense, of the turkey, uh, which makes it gives it that tender texture when you actually cook it and eat it. And it uh, it's juicy. And there's different types of brines. I use a, I make a citrus brine, which sounds fancier than what it is. It's pretty much uh, water, salt, uh, and you can you know look up the the actual uh, measurements of, of like each thing. I think it's like a gallon of water for every uh, cup of salt that you use. Then it had a uh, an orange and a li- lime or uh, lemon um, squeezed and and uh, put in there like the, you know you squeeze it in and then throw in like the wedge of the full orange and lime. Um, what else did it take? Uh, bay leaves, pepper, uh, a couple things. things, no, nothing, nothing too crazy. It's something that you literally throw together in like five minutes and you put it in a, well, the way I do it, I put it in a plastic bag, um, seal it and then put it like in a pot, like a really big pot and then just put the whole thing in the fridge and let it sit there. I started brining it on Tuesday night and started cooking it Thursday, Thanksgiving day at about 12 uh, noon. Um, Cooked it for three hours and baste the turkey when you cook it also. Uh, Definitely do that. Take it out like every 45 minutes to an hour. Take it out of the oven. Use that little um, squeezing thing. Uh, It's called a baster if I'm not mistaken. It's a little long plastic tube that has like a little bubble rubber bubble at the end of it that you squeeze and sucks up the juices and then you like pour the juices back onto it do that to maintain the turkey moist and um uh oh yeah after you brine it by the way take it out you know completely wash it off you throw away that water that salt water brine and wash the turkey thoroughly get everything off of it you know rinse it off and then season it with whatever you're going to season it with um it did like a like a a mixture, a like a seasoning mixture of like oregano and adobo and pepper and uh, um, garlic powder, onion powder, um, Italian seasoning, like a whole bunch of like different things I like mixed together and made like a seasoning rub and uh, seasoned it with that, uh, some rosemary, and then I used butter to put like in between the skin and the actual turkey. Um, it's not, it gives it like a buttery taste and that's pretty much it. Nothing, nothing too fancy. Oh, put a chicken broth on it and also a bottle of champagne, um, which you pour on it. And then you stuff the cavity with like chopped up celery and onions and, uh, orange and, and like whatever. Um, and that's how you season the turkey and cook it pretty much and it came out pretty good i enjoyed it now my favorite part of thanksgiving is actually the day after thanksgiving when you have like all the leftovers and shit and i love making uh turkey sandwiches just get some leftover turkey that you like cut up like into strips get some you know some bread toasted and just add the turkey, add some mayo, some yellow American cheese, melt it in the microwave, you know, let it all melt, and then put lettuce, 
afterwards and that's fucking delicious i love that i look forward to that almost as much as doing the whole family thing and eating turkey on thanksgiving and that's pretty much it that's how i spent my thanksgiving and like i said i hope you guys also enjoyed it with your families and friends as well now a couple movies that i saw over the past uh, since i last spoke to you guys uh past two weeks was one which was a throw well two throwbacks uh first of which was true romance which um i heard like rapaport speak about on the i am rapaport podcast and uh they mentioned it they looked up ratings for it i think it has like a 8.3 rating or something like that out of 10 like really dope ratings and so many like a-list actors are in it and it's an old movie so it's like before they were all you know big shots and shit um like who brad pitt's in it uh and i know i was gonna remember like everybody's name off the top of my head um fuck who's the lady that did that dope movie um that was like up for awards and shit like that patricia arquette that did the, she did that movie recently like about a boy or or something like that that they it was like the real characters over like a 15 year period or some shit like that and they shot it like every five years or something to show how they've grown and and stuff um patricia arquette um who else uh james gandolfini was in it um christopher walken uh mike rapaport obviously um who I fucks with hard body karate and who else who else who else fuck I can't think anyway that was like it was a Christian Slater if I'm not mistaken um and it was a really dope movie and then there's other people that you definitely that are in it like the cops both of the cops they're like known actors I just don't know their names um a couple of the other people that were like in the italian mob they were like uh like goons or whatever they were there that you know their faces that you definitely recognize uh once you see them um and it was so dope there was such an epic scene between that i had to watch twice i think three times i saw that scene i like rewinded it and shit between christopher walken and um daniel hopper or anthony hopper um probably fucking up his name too but two really dope scenes like the beginning half of the movie and uh it's really awesome the second best scene is uh Patricia Arquette and James Gandolfini when they got into like their little fight scene uh spoiler alert and uh, I definitely recommend it. it was a dope movie Quentin Tarantino wrote it he didn't direct it but he wrote it and I love his which is true in um Pulp Fiction as well his style of dialogue writing and it's definitely something to to strive towards and how he like opens up movies just like in the middle of a conversation um that's how Pulp Fiction opened up with the you know the couple in the diner like speaking having a conversation this one opened up with Christian Slater at a bar having a conversation with a chick which come to think of it that's how I start a lot of my stories also a little uh shameless plug there if you guys want to go check out some uh Probably not anything like any Tarantino stories, but uh, aside from that similarity, 
<laughs> in uh, starting it with a conversation or whatever at spontary.com forward slash short stories. Check them out. Let me know what you guys think about them. Um, and yeah, that was True Romance. My first time seeing it. Um, I uh, think I tweeted about it and somebody said that I should kill myself for not seeing it sooner. And I can't say I fully agree with them, but I agree with the sentiment. It is a must see. And you guys should check it out if you haven't already. The next movie was Hamburger Hill, which my boy Raul put me on to. Shout out to Rumi. And it was an old school war movie um, about Vietnam. And I enjoyed watching it. Uh, we saw it recently, a couple of days ago, actually. And I th- what was it? I think it was last Friday night. And um, it was pretty cool. I had a couple uh, Don Cheetos in it, uh, a couple um, actors like before they blew up or whatever. Uh, the main character, I forgot his name, but he's definitely a known actor also. And uh, what I, I something I liked about that movie in particular were the monologue scenes. Like, not every character, but a few of the characters had like um, these like little mini monologues. Some of them had were like noticeably long, um, and some of them were shorter. And I thought that was uh, interesting. Interesting like storytelling method i guess um but yeah i enjoyed the movie also it was pretty cool and you guys should check that one out as well that's hamburger hill and last movie that i saw this weekend was creed which i went to the theater with my fiance to go check out and i recommend it it's definitely it was definitely um a worth movie worth a theater going movie because uh, you know there's some movies that that are good, but it's like, eh, I can wait for the DVD or nobody uses DVD anymore. But um, I could wait for it to be on fucking HBO On Demand or to download it on Pirate Bay or whatever the fuck your method of movie extraction is. Um, but yeah, this one was definitely worth uh, checking out at the theater. And if you haven't already, you should do so. I like the, the actor uh, Michael B. Jordan. He was actually on The Breakfast Club. Seems like a pretty cool dude. Um, and he's a pretty good actor, too. And I, at first, I was kind of like, oh, fuck, another Rocky movie. Um, but it really wasn't, uh, it wasn't like, it wasn't like that. And it did the original Rocky movies justice. Like, there were a lot of um, parallels, I guess. Yeah, you can say, and obviously, Sylvester Stallone was in it. Um, but in the movie, he plays more of like a like a Mickey role. If you guys remember Mickey, the old man from from Rocky, uh, from the you know before he died, like the first two or three. And um, well, the first one. When did Mickey die? Rocky one. Was it like Rocky two? I think maybe. And um, yeah, and it's kind of sad, uh, certain parts, and um. It was definitely it was a dope watch. Uh, I recommend. I want. I don't. You know, it's a fairly new movie. I don't want to um, tell you guys more than that and spoil it for you. But check it out, Creed. Oh, and something also that I liked about just to backtrack a little bit about Hamburger Hill was that they didn't make it like a. I don't know what the proper terminology would be, but they didn't. They didn't make it like a fluff kind of movie. It's like all the main characters in the movie died. Spoiler alert. Um, 
I don't mind telling you guys about that one because it's an old, old ass movie. But yeah, like almost all of them, all the main characters died, and they it was kind of like a gritty view of the movie, like like really close up, like heads getting blown off and guts hanging out and bombs go off and people right next to you exploding and like you know like a very you kind of sort of feel like you're there type of um cinematography of it which is pretty cool because that's at least you know it's not cool that all that shit happened obviously but it's pretty cool that you you at least what i want from a movie is to feel submerged in the experience to want to be able to like taste being there kind of thing if that makes any sense and I think that movie did a good job of that. Um, and that's pretty much it for the three movies that I saw. Uh, next is the Vice episode, which I believe it's called. It's on HBO now. Um, right now on HBO On Demand. It's a Vice episode called Fixing the System. I think that's what it's called. But like on the, the uh, TV guide thing. It just says fixing slash system. Um, And Shane Smith interviews Eric Holder as well as Obama. And it's the first time a sitting president visits a federal prison and actually sits down. And he uh, spoke to, I think, like six or seven inmates that were doing um, very long sentences for non-violent um, non-violent crimes, uh, drug crimes. And the whole piece is, is uh, you know, ca- framed in there being uh, an obvious issue with uh, drug sentencing and non-violent dr- drug offenses and how the balance between... Or rather, how there is an imbalance between the, uh, you know, African-Americans and Latinos getting arrested versus whites. And the, more importantly, the, maybe not importantly, but um, I think the the bigger uh, or more root issue is the fact that the sentences being applied with um, mandatory minimums and being nonviolent offenses are very disproportionate to other crimes that you would think or feel warrant more time uh, in prison. And uh, to give you guys an example, they said that um, federal cases used to go or went from 80% guilty pleas to 97% guilty pleas. Now, what that means, and, you know, a few of the, the inmates that spoke with Obama were, were speaking to this. What that means is that your uh, attorney that's uh, assigned to you, your uh, public defendant, pretty much tells you, all right, you can get, if you go to court, meaning go to the federal federal court level, you can get up to, you know, life in prison or 30 years or whatever it is. But if you plead guilty, then um, and uh, plead guilty to this lesser charge or, or whatever, 
you get, uh, you know, five to ten years in, in prison. That's the max you can get. So then, in the eyes of the uh, the person that has to make that decision, that committed the non-violent drug crime, they see it as, uh, you know, pretty clear-cut decision. Ten years or thirty years, pick one, and that's you know they go with the ten, and they, um, I'm I'm sure it's painted to them in a way that, aside from making that decision, which you know just face value wise makes sense to take the ten, in their eyes versus risking thirty, it feels like take ten or risk twelve or something like that. It's like yeah, fuck it, I'll risk the twelve, but ten to thirty, you know, it's insane. Um, that spread there is is just illogical, and I'm sure it's painted to them in a way that the you know them they're probably discouraged from going to that to that federal level. Um, you know these public defenders don't have all the time in the world to dedicate to them because they have a shitload of clients that that they deal with, and you know they. they want to avoid going to court and long court uh, hearings and proceedings uh, to pad their stats. You know, I defended this person and got them, you know, um, to plead out, et cetera, et cetera, and pad their stats. The same as the cops, the arresting officers, um, the same thing they want because they want, you know, the person they arrested got convicted and that's, a pl- you know, a plus in my uh, quota column for the for the month uh, of arrests that turned into convictions. And what was my point? Um, yeah, my girl pointed out something because um, she she was watching some Oprah uh, piece on a kid that was like tortured and and just abused by his parents. And it was something to the effect of when the kid was like five, six, seven years old, he was locked in the closet for like hours and hours and like or like days or something like that. And he fainted from from hunger and the father would open the door to the closet, ask him if he's thirsty. If he said yes, he would piss on him. Um, You know, they would hit him. They would. Uh, beat him just like complete like monster shit like shit you would see in fucking um uh, who's the guy with the mask that i'm thinking about the fucking um serial killer fucking chainsaw massacre texas chainsaw massacre dude like some crazy shit that you you would think that sick fuck would do like these parents were doing to their child and they uh you know the the kid also said that out of hunger he would eat pieces of cardboard that he would find in the closet how fucking sad is that it's fucking crazy um and uh, i forgot i forget how like it all came to light but pretty much the kid got taken away from the parents and he wound up getting adopted and then came on oprah when you know he's like 18 or 19 and told the story and um the parents did go to jail and they got two to three years in prison. Two to three years. That's it. So this is this is where you know the system is clearly, undeniably broken. So 
these other guys that I mentioned before, nonviolent drug offenses, where they are getting sentences that are that really are 20, 30 years or something like that for selling drugs to fucking crackheads that are, are going to buy it from them or anyone else. And I'm not saying that it's okay to sell, sell drugs and shit, but they're not hurting anybody. And the people that they are, I, I guess you could say that they are hurting all the crackheads that are going to get hurt by the crack anyway because they're going to get their crack. Whatever the fuck, their heroin or whatever the fuck it is that they're into. Um, but these sick disgusting piece of shit people that could lock a child in the closet their child in the closet at least if it was like their neighbor's kid and they fucking hated the kid because he was a brat or some shit It'd be like all right i kind of get it <laughs> no i'm joking but that locked their kid in the closet piss on him fucking hit him beat him don't feed him have him faint from not eating a piece of shit like that two years later is shopping in the mall two years like a piece of shit like that should literally get get fucking tattooed like on their fucking chest and forehead like fuck Muhammad and pictures of of, of Muhammad all fucking sucking cock, Jesus's cock or some shit and dropped in the middle of a fucking ISIS camp that's what should happen to a person like that to a piece of shit like those two parents and they get two to three years in jail. Like, I, it makes absolutely no sense. And aside from that, the actual, uh, I guess you call it system being rigged or, or I don't know, uh, a better, better way to articulate it. But if you call with Coke, which is a white drug, you know, quote, you know, stereotypically uh, uh, upper class white drug uh, versus if you are caught with. Uh, crack, which is a, a lower class black or Hispanic drug, um, more uh, prevalent in like poor neighborhoods, etc., uh, which is the same exact chemical makeup, same exact drug, just one is hard, one is fucking soft powder. Um, it used to be a hundred to one the difference in, in sentencing that you get a hundred to one. So you get one for coke and a hundred for crack. And since Obama's been president, that has been lowered uh, substantially, but still to a number that still makes absolutely no sense, which is now 18 to 1. So the severity of the sentencing that you get is 18 times more if you're caught with crack, the same amount of crack, of the same, so the same amount of the same exact drug. So if I take like the water from an ice cube tray and I pour it in my pocket as fucking water, versus if i you know put it in the freezer and make it hard and then pour the ice cubes in my pocket as ice cubes you know it's the same amount of fucking i don't know volume or however the fuck you calculate same amount of shit right just one's fucking soft and one's hard you get 18 times more the penalty for the one that happens to be the one that's found in in poor black and hispanic neighborhoods which is fucking such bullshit But yeah, I digress. I'm not fucking telling anybody anything that they don't know already. That's not, that has been beaten to death. But, you know, for whatever it's worth, it's worth speaking about and continuing it to until fucking something gives. Something's got to give eventually, right? And 
Uh, let's see. Mm, I have an idea with the uh, job program. So there's this big issue. Uh, there's a like a 50% recidivism, recidivism rate, meaning that when dudes that are locked up get out of prison and they come back, uh, or they have a, a f- um, fifty percent chance of coming back once they're they're let out because they try to get jobs, they get discouraged. Nobody wants to hire an ex-con, and they you know wind up chilling with the with their old friends and you know falling back into the same habits. And motherfuckers gotta eat, right? Put yourselves in their positions. If you are really legit trying and you just can't get hired because nobody wants to hire an ex-con and you're applying to you know to shitload of jobs a day and going on four or five interviews a day and just getting turned away, no, no, no. Um, and you need to make money to feed either your kid or even let's say you're completely by yourself, just you. You need to make money to fucking put food in your own mouth. And you know it, it gets to a point where you literally either starve or beg or go back to doing what you're doing to make some money and these guys are apparently not that well at what they do um if they're like getting caught and shit and just wind it back where they started and that's why the recidivism rate is 50 percent. i gotta learn how to say that word that's why they have a 50 percent chance of winding up back in prison which is also a, a broken piece of 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 that system and I have an idea that's twofold. One of which is not a a um, uh, sword I'm looking for. Like uh, it's not my idea. It's not a unique idea. Um, you know, it's kind of like parallel thinking because I mentioned it, and then Obama wound up saying it, like on the same Vice show, which makes me think it's either parallel thinking or maybe I just read it like in an article before and I didn't remember. I did, but he brings up the concept of not having the checkbox on job applications and stuff, asking if somebody's in XCon. Because if I'm a business owner and I have two applications in front of me, and one says, you know, both identical fucking credentials, and one of them says XCon and the other one doesn't, I'm going to go with the one that doesn't. You know, I'm going to be biased that way, and I'm sure that all these other employers are as well. And it's something that that uh, scares you off from wanting to hire someone. Now, um, I mentioned well, I, I was watching this speaking with my girl, and she said, and I I said that that was a good idea and that's something that should be done, and she kind of sort of didn't agree with it, and mentioned you know what if you have a fucking pedophile that you know applies to, as a janitor to a school or something like that, and that's a very valid point. So. I amended that thought with my original thought with how about if the crime that you were arrested for has job applications should be able to ask you if you were an ex-con, not in general, not paint that, you know, broad uh, brush, which knocks them all off. But if you were ever arrested for a crime, having to do with that particular business, for example. Um, anything to have to do with children or schools or anything like that, have you ever been arrested for, um, uh, I don't even know what they're called, p- pedal crimes or whatever the fuck? Um, you know, have that checkbox, but not have you ever been arrested 
for a crime or have you ever been an ex-con or whatever if you are applying for a job at you know in a pharmacy have you ever been arrested for dealing drugs and stuff like that so i think that type of approach would make sense because then somebody that got you know arrested for fucking a non-violent drug crime for example could get uh, hired as a fucking plumber or something like that you know what i mean and you know if he's good at his job he's good at his fucking job and that's all that it should be about in my opinion which takes me to that's that's i think would help take care of part of that issue now another idea uh is making them more and by them i mean um ex-cons prisoners that actually put in the work and you know because i'm sure there's plenty that you know they go to school in jail they you know work hard in jail they really do rehabilitate themselves etc and want to do good and you know repent for their sins or whatever the fuck you want to call it um there has to be some right so make them marketable make them wantable make it so that if specific to certain trades like they mentioned in that vice piece not many prisons at all don't do this but um if they did have like these job programs job placement programs and uh, job training uh programs make it so that whatever they skill they're learning they are doing double or triple the amount of work that someone on the outside would have to do to get you know a particular license like if it takes 100 hours worth of welding to get a welder's license make the prisoners do 300 hours to get that same exact license so that to the job market to the uh hirer um to the boss or whatever they they see an application two applications in front of them one person has 100 years of welding experience the other one has 300 years of welding experience and give them that type of edge that when and if the fact that they have been in prison comes up and how much that hurts their chances to get a job some of that if not all of it should be offset by the experience and uh work experience that they have and i don't know that's just a thought i mean they're in prison anyway and i don't even know if they do do it that way um if they do then awesome and but apparently it's not working so do more of it and um but if they don't that's definitely something that i think should be should be implemented and highlighted and that might help with lowering that recidivism rate because you get them into a legit job you get them into the mindset of working at that job from when they're still inside and yeah that's pretty much it what we're doing now doesn't fucking work so try something else try something different try implementing these types of changes And I think they'll be better for it as well as uh, we would be as a society. That said, I am trying to better my photography skills. And nice little segue there, right? I began taking an online photography course, which so far is pretty cool. I didn't think much of it for two reasons one because you know whenever i hear like online like courses kind of like you know schools online you kind of they kind of have like the weird stigma of oh it's not real kind of thing um but then at the same time like there's a shitload of stuff that i learned on like on youtube and 
just by like reading articles online and stuff like that. So I don't know why I have that that why certain things have that like stigma, but they do. So that's part of it. The second part of it is that I got the course for free, which is actually a uh, I guess I owe. I don't know, shout out to Tim Ferriss, which I think it was through, it wasn't like directly through his podcast, but listening to Tim Ferriss' podcast, like I looked up something on some site that led me to this other site, um, which is what I love about podcasts, like how interconnected and, and, and how much you can gain from them, even like on maybe not directly, but indirectly, like in this case, I was listening to Tim Ferriss' podcast. I don't remember what I looked up, but I looked up something on some site that led me to this other site called stack social um which you guys uh could check out if you want and and they i guess they're similar to i guess like a groupon you could say but they have like a lot of or not i don't know if a lot but they have some free shit on there um and you know how groupons like the business model of it is that they get um i don't know a certain amount of stuff or a certain amount of people buying the stuff so they could sell it cheaper and they offer those they give those discounts onto their customers or something like that um it kind of it kind of seems to work the same way with stack social except that they certain things are like 99 percent off 100 percent off aka free and i got this deal for this photography course which was a 395 dollar course for free um, cause I got it like within a certain window or some shit and all I did was sign up to the website and, um, uh, and taking the course and it's live courses that if that are scheduled for certain days throughout the week. And if you missed a live course, they, uh, have it recorded along with the Q and A's, uh, that took place within the course. And, uh, you can obviously watch those like on demand, which is how I've been doing it. And they also have a like a 10 question quiz after each course. And then at the end, there's like another one, like a 100, 100 question test or something like that they got to take. And I think they give you like a certificate or diploma or whatever. And I think that if I heard correctly, and I'll let you guys know when I'm done taking the course, um, I think to get the actual certificate, you do have to pay for it. I don't know how much. And I'm not even sure if I heard that right. But regardless of what you're getting, like all the knowledge and, and, and stuff by taking the course. So if you're hanging up diplomas on your wall and stuff like that then i guess you can uh pay for it if you want to but if not you get the the actual knowledge from the course regardless and the course is called shaw shaw academy photography course you guys can check out their website shawacademy.com and they offer the offer they offer other like online courses as well the only one that i've looked into is this one because i got it for free and like you guys know, I'm into photography. Check out some of my pictures at spuntoday.com forward slash photography. And uh, I just want to learn more about it. You know, like, I don't know shit about it, about photography, aside from the fact that I like, you know, pointing and shooting my camera at stuff. And, you know, it's something that I would want to look into a little deeper. And so far, I've taken the first two sessions each there. Like I said, there's 10 sessions. Each of them is like an hour long, an hour and 20 minutes for some. Some of them, you know, 45 minutes. Some of them an hour and 20. Some of them an hour. But most of them range around an hour. And I am two sessions in. And uh, I like it so far. The first um, class was like all about photography and different types of photography. 
that I've never even heard of before. Um, you know, like they tell you, like the differences between portrait photography versus landscape photography versus architectural photography versus fucking aerial photography and a bunch of stuff like that. Then the second course was pretty much all about the camera and like all the buttons and functions and shit like that that are on it. That I never knew what they were. Uh, now I do. And also from taking, um, they explained the differences between the different lenses and and um, a telephoto lens versus a fish class lens versus a zoom lens versus like the standard lens. And they show you examples of the same exact landscape taken with a 15 millimeter um, wide angle lens and then with a 70 millimeter telephoto lens. And they show you the same exact image or landscape and how, you know, they show the differences between them. And uh, it's pretty cool shit. It's pretty interesting. I'm enjoying it. And I'll keep you guys posted on that as the course goes on. And something that will not go on is my favorite basketball player, Kobe Bryant's basketball career. For those of you that don't know, uh, Kobe Bryant plays basketball for the Los Angeles Lakers and has been doing so now for 20 seasons. And he's been my favorite basketball player since 96 when he came into the league at 18 years old. And uh, definitely, not even arguably, he's definitely one of the all-time greats. He's my favorite basketball player ever. And um, he recently announced his retirement. I told you guys in, I think, the last episode that I actually went to go see him for the first time live, which I'm definitely even that much more glad now that I did because um, he's not going to be there anymore after the season. He's playing, like, absolute dog shit. His uh, shooting percentage is, like, 30-something percent. He says it himself that, you know, he doesn't have it anymore. And um, uh, sad to see him go, but he gave he gave it all to to uh, to the sport and followed his passion. And he's a uh, biggest thing that I admire from Kobe Bryant is not necessarily just like his basketball skills and which are which are you know arguably you know up there uh, with the not arguably it's he's one of the best of all time. Period. Um. But his his drive and his uh, dedication and his affinity for hard work, um, those three things above all, I respect the hell out of and and or things that I always like gravitate towards and that I guess I preach on here right on this podcast. You know, work hard for what you want and stay dedicated and shit like that. Which, on a real quick tangent, by next episode, I should have some exciting news to tell you guys. Well, it's exciting for me, um, something I'm happy about, but it hasn't come uh, to fruition exactly yet. So, I'll keep you guys posted on that, but definitely has to do with the whole, you know, working hard and, and um, um, just putting work in towards something that you want, something that you're striving for. Which, again, going back to Kobe is what uh he's all about in my opinion and he put something out and what's even doper is that he wrote a piece called dear basketball which i'm going to share with you guys and is located in the episode notes by the way the shaw the link for the shaw academy um that i'm taking the photography course at is also available in the episode notes for you guys to check out um if you'd like to 
Also in the episode notes, like I said, is this Kobe Bryant uh, piece that he wrote. And you guys can check out. But I'm going to read it to you because I thought it was really dope. Um, super well well said, well written, heartfelt. And pretty awesome, man. It was like the... He's such a, I think, like, class act. Um, You know, minus the whole rape allegation thing from back in the day. But aside from that, he's... Uh, uh, I thought this was pretty dope of him to to put out there. And here it is. Dear Basketball. From the moment I started rolling my dad's tube socks and shooting imaginary game-winning shots in the Great Western Forum, I knew one thing was real. I fell in love with you. A love so deep, I gave you my all. From my mind and body to my spirit and soul. As a six-year-old boy, deeply in love with you, I never saw the end of the tunnel. I only saw myself running out of one. And so I ran. I ran up and down every court after every loose ball for you. You asked for my hustle. I gave you my heart because it came with so much more. I played through the sweat and hurt, not because challenge called me but because you called me i did everything for you because that's what you do when someone makes you feel as alive as you've made me feel you gave a six-year-old boy his laker dream and i'll always love you for it but i can't love you obsessively for much longer this season is all I have left to give. My heart can take the pounding. My mind can handle the grind. But my body knows it's time to say goodbye. And that's okay. I'm ready to let you go. I want you to know so we both can savor every moment we have left together. The good and the bad We have given each other all that we have. And we both know, no matter what I do next, I'll always be that kid with the rolled up socks, garbage can in the corner, five seconds on the clock, ball in my hands. Five, four, three, two, one. Love you always, Kobe. How dope was that? Thank you, Kobe, for all the motivation and all the years of excellence that you gave to the game and through the game to us, your fans. Much appreciated. And best of luck. That's pretty dope, right? It's a pretty dope uh, piece. Kobe's really well, like, well read and well-spoken being you know somebody that didn't go to college or anything like that not that if you go to college it's a guarantee of being well-read or anything like that i know a lot of fucking idiots including myself that went to college but um you know he's a like a sports dude like a jock and you just like kind of sort of expect him to be like a bumbling idiot 
but it's not. It's pretty cool. Now, before, again, uh, I read the uh, free writing pieces that I have for you guys today, which I actually have three of, um, I have two pieces from the Tao Te Ching that I finished reading and that I want to share with you guys. I finally finished reading it, and I actually... Just to go on a quick tangent real quick, like I normally do. Um, I just ordered, I have a list, right, of like different books and I have a separate list of different movies and documentaries and a separate list of different articles and like shit that I like on my phone that I want to like look up that I hear on podcasts or different podcast guests mention, oh, what's your favorite book? And they say, blah, blah, blah. And they describe what the book is. And if I find it interesting, I write it down as a book that I will read one day. And then I noticed that my list is getting too fucking brolic and I'm too slow of a reader to continue building on the list. And I am kind of sort of like forcing myself to bring that list down. Um, so I'm not allowing myself to add anything onto the list. And I am, I ordered, you know, I finished the Tao Te Ching and what I had been doing also is like adding books to the list. But then when I go to buy a new book to read, I, you know, just get a book that's not on the list um which you know keeps the list growing and it's it wasn't working and all the you know i went through the list again and it's all books that i that i would be interested in reading so i ordered three books from the list and they're the next three books that i have to mandatorily read and i cannot add any more books until i bring that list down currently it's a list of like 35 books which will probably take me 35 years to read <laughs> with my slow as uh, reading pace but um, the goal is to get through them and, uh, read them quicker. Uh, so the three books that I ordered, if you guys want to know, are Zen Flesh and Zen Bones, which is the next one that I'm going to read. It's a collection of Zen and pre-Zen writings. Then the next one is a New York Times bestseller, um, which, uh, USA Today called Enchanting. Willy Wonka meets the Matrix. It's called Ready Player One by Ernest Klein. It's a a fiction book, actually. Not that that big into fiction books, but this one had like OD great reviews. I think like just on Amazon alone, it had like almost nine thousand reviews and like four and a half stars. Um, and I forgot which guest on which podcast mentioned this book, but uh, I noticed that I do write. Uh, a lot of shit that I do write is, well, the short stories are, um, are fiction. They're, you know, usually, like, based on, on true events or a true story, but mainly fiction. So, I should probably read some fucking fiction. Um, and then the third book, which I had no idea was this fucking big. And I'm leaving it for the last of the three to begin. Because it is literally, I'll tell you guys right now, it looks like a fucking Bible. It's called, well, actually, let me tell you how many pages. It's like 850 pages. And it's called The History of Western Philosophy by Bertrand Russell. And thank you, asshole, for dedicating that one, whoever it was that did. But um, you made me want to read it. And I'm into philosophy. And I, aside from taking a couple philosophy courses in college, all of which I don't remember, I, it's something that has always interested me and, um, uh, you know, why not? All right. So that said, let me read you guys the last two pieces from the Tao Te Ching that you're going to hear from me. 
um, until I, I guess, uh, revisit the book and read it again uh, sometime in the future, probably on the 36th year after <laughs> catching up with all those, all those books that I got to read. The two pieces are number 57 and 64, and here is number 57. If you want to be a great leader, you must learn to follow the Tao. Stop trying to control. Let go of fixed plans and concepts, and the world will govern itself. The more prohibitions you have, the less virtuous people will be. The more weapons you have, the less secure people will be. The more subsidies you have, the less self-reliant people will be. Therefore, the master says, I let go of the law, and people become honest. I let go of economics, and people become prosperous. I let go of religion, and people become serene. I let go of all desires for the common good, and the good comes common as grass. That was interesting. And lastly, number 64 of the Tao Te Ching, which is this edition was translated by Stephen Mitchell, Stephen Mitchell. Which I heard was a good good one. There's a shitload of translations to this Lao Tzu ancient text, by the way. Um, I like this one, but I have no um, frame of reference to any of the others. I wrote down before before I read this. I wrote down like a little side note here uh, to put things in order before they exist. That's a, a line I guess from this that resonated with me when I was reading it, and which again is put things in order before they exist. What is rooted is easy to nourish. What is recent is easy to correct. What is brittle is easy to break. What is small is easy to scatter. Prevent trouble before it arises. Put things in order before they exist. The giant pine tree grows from a tiny sprout. The journey of a thousand miles starts from beneath your feet. Rushing into action, you fail. Trying to grasp things, you lose them. Forcing a project to completion, you ruin what was almost ripe. Therefore, the master takes action by letting things take their course. He remains as calm at the end as at the beginning. He has nothing, thus he has nothing to lose. What he desires is non-desire. What he learns is to unlearn. He simply reminds people of who they have always been. He cares about nothing but the Tao. Thus, he can care for all things. I think that was really, re that's really important, that line, now that I read it again, like in the full context, put things in order before they exist. It resonates with me, I guess, in the sense of laying a foundation for things and and you know you have an end goal for hopefully for certain things that you do or that you begin to do you should put things in place not like delusionally but make a strong enough foundation and put a foundation strong enough in place so that if you do get to that place that goal that 
it's sustainable. You don't want to be, you don't want to reach it and then lose it because you didn't lay the foundation and the groundwork necessary to hold that up. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I like that. I like that. That resonated a lot with me from uh, piece number 64 there from the Tao Te Ching. Tao Te Ching. And that's pretty much it. Like last time, I'm going to go from the Tao Te Ching to the spuntoday.com forward slash free writing section and read you guys a couple of free writing pieces of moi's. Let me know what you guys think. Probably not as good as the Tao Te Ching, but eh, maybe one day, right? The good thing is that these are smaller pieces. Uh, good for those of you that uh, don't enjoy this portion of the podcast as much. And yeah, they were all posted on the actual blog on November 29th, 2015. If you guys want to check them out, you know, comment on them or like them or share them. That's where you can find them at spontaneity.com forward slash free writing. And three that I'm going to read were all posted on November 29th, 2015. The first one is titled, Tune Into Your Mix of Motivating Emotions. And I wrote, Dedication, Passion, Love, and a Touch of Necessity. What a powerful combination of emotions. Does a stronger mix exist? An alchemist couldn't yield more value. When tuned into the frequency at the four-way cross-section of those emotions, your output is worthy of praise. It's beautiful. You put in the work and return to you are the fruits of your labor in spades. You can stay tuned in or can you stay tuned in or do you stray? Is it a permanent situation or do you inevitably get lost in the haze? And I wrote that on Saturday, December 7th, 2013 at 2.03 a.m. Couldn't sleep that night, apparently. Um, yeah, that's it. That's, that's that piece. trying to think what I think about it I when I think about it I see I'm tuned into the frequency at the four-way cross-section of those emotions your output is worthy of praise I don't know about that but I kind of get what I was saying you know when you mix dedication passion love and you know you light a fire under your ass with the touch of necessity the what comes out of that should be gold you know should should be good shit with that combination of of motivating emotions like the title says and it's a matter of how long you can stay tuned into what i'm calling uh that frequency which is that cross-section of all those emotions and being in the mind state that allows you to, to put into 
put that type of work into your craft, if that makes sense. Um, and how long you can stay like in that zone and do that. And if it's something permanent, which the answer to that would be no, it's not. But it's something that you like I ended with can inevitably get lost in the haze of it. But ultimately, you can find your way back into it. Or do you just lose yourself completely and never get back to it? Kind of like, I guess, people that have ideas and plans and, and might begin something but don't execute on it. And, you know, uh, I myself am like that with certain aspects of my life with, you know, certain projects or certain stories or 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 things that I begin to put together. I'm trying to get much better with that now. And I think I have been, but just generally speaking... Um, with things that you start and don't finish pretty much. Um, that would be an example, I guess, of getting lost in the haze. And we shouldn't do that. We should try to focus on tuning into that motivating mix of emotions and staying in that pocket as long as possible. <laughs> I, I truly really think that that's something that that could be like it's magical when it happens but it's manufacturable you know what i mean like it's it's something that you feel it's not like i guess i, I relate everything towards writing but you know you guys at this point should know that you could relate any of this shit to whatever you're passionate about you know um or whatever you're into period and it's like there's a feeling of like, for example, when I'm writing, when thoughts and ideas and stuff are, like, pouring out of me, it's like, where the fuck is this shit coming from? Like, it's not, like, it's through me, but I don't feel like it's from me. Um, and so that, in that sense, it's, like, magical. But it's much more practical in the sense that when you sit down to actually put in the work and stuff like that, that's when that is allowed to happen. So you can make shit happen. You just have to put in the work to actually get it there, get it to that that point, you know? And that's what I think about that post. The next post is called Perpetuate Life. And I wrote, scrape past the surface of living, embrace life and all its fruits, melt into all of the nuanced textures of existence resurface as a new and improved version of a built upon you make every moment the wait make every moment the moment that you're in remember to win even when you lose choose forward and outward progress based on focused and inward perspective have the belief in yourself to trust the foresight, the gumption to go for it, the determination to stick with it, and the objectivity to not get lost in it, and the good fortune to reflect upon it all as you pass the blueprint on and perpetuate life. And I wrote that on Monday, January 13th, 2014 at 1.19 a.m. Another sleepless night. Um, I really liked, now that I read that again, um, 
Where is it? Remember to win even when you lose. That it kind of sounds like tell the chingish. Um, nothing. Nothing. It sounds cliche-ish, actually. Um, I like. Choose forward. Okay, I like that piece. Choose forward and outward progress based on focused and inward perspective. So to me, what that means is based on, you know, taking the time to look within yourself and, and deal with your your issues and your faults and bettering those. Focusing on that to create forward and outward progress, to create the progress of like the progress that you're looking for either in your job or in your relationships or in your in your craft that forward progress that outward progress that you're looking for begins i think inside of you and you have to clean all that shit up within you because that's blocking and holding you back from pushing forth and expanding the the forward and outward progress of whatever that thing is for you, whatever, you know, moving forward at your job and, you know, bettering, you know, strained relationships and stuff like that. It all starts inside of you. So definitely, um, all that, all that type of progress is based on focused and inward perspective on yourself that you're either looking for and perfecting or not. And I like the way it ends in that it's kind of like, I guess, selfless, you can say, in that the the whole idea of even doing that is so you can have the good fortune to reflect upon it as you, to reflect upon all that as a blueprint to perpetuate life. So as you become an example for others to do the same and kind of sets a ripple effect of through the lives of different people that you touch and that they touch and that they touch and that they touch in perpetuating that type of forward and our progress with the other people from their inner circles. And lastly, the last piece that I'm going to read, I wrote, I have to let me just give you guys a little background on this one. Um, it's a, a small piece that I wound up writing after the the whole, uh, like, Charlie Hebdo incident, um, those terror attacks that took place um, when the masked men ran into that, that uh, news journalist station newspaper place i forget what what it's called magazine place and um you know killed the artists of of the magazine and people that work there uh because they they drew their prophet muhammad or whatever in an unflattering way in their opinion or in a jokingly jokingly matter and i'm gonna borrow from sam harris uh which has the waking up podcast where he wound up, I, he did it kind of like as a point of, um, after these recent Paris attacks, 
at the the theater in Paris. The um, this one I have the name of. There was a recent attack at the B- Bataclan concert hall in Paris, where people were attending a music concert, and uh, I believe three gunmen came in masked and shot and killed upwards of 130 people, injured a shitload more, and traumatized traumatized even more, and you know spread terror through through Paris and France and the world. Um, by those acts and um what i mean by saying that i'm going to borrow from sam harris is that he wound up breathing a piece that he wrote from you know of by the way far more eloquent and knowledgeable and an in-depth piece this is just you know compared to this it's actual writing <laughs> this to me is just you know spitting out thoughts that uh free writing thoughts that i have in my mind and you know in a paragraph or two he puts actual um depth i guess into uh his pieces so definitely go check that out um sam harris's podcast is called waking up and i'm sure you just google his name and you find his website with all his uh blog pieces as well um and he wound up reading a piece that he wrote for a previous terror attack when after this one happened because he is kind of to show that you know nothing's changing and that this piece that he wrote you know months or or a year to be prior still applies the same exact way and i wrote this like i said with the whole charlie hebdo thing and i felt i never posted it but i felt like posting it now after the these recent terror attacks and i actually found some pretty cool pictures funny pictures in my opinion of the like those these uh muhammad uh pictures that isis and these terrorists get bent out of shape out of um so if you guys never hear from me again i guess one of them got to me but i doubt it because nobody listens to this so um i posted them on on the blog with this particular blog post so if you guys want to check them out they're kind of funny i'll describe them to you um one of them has like a very poorly poorly drawn kind of it looks kind of like a south park version of the prophet muhammad and he's called prophet muhammad instead of muhammad and he has uh in quotes under him he has a sword in his hand or a machete rather and he says stop calling my followers violent or they will kill you i thought that was pretty funny i also put up the charlie hebdo um famous charlie hebdo muhammad post says just swiss charlie and that was like on their magazine cover and then another funny one uh which is like a bunch it shows like a line of suicide bombers and uh what seems to be the prophet muhammad like all on like a cloud in in heaven and the prophet muhammad is saying stop stop we have run we have run out of virgins He's telling me, like, all oh, the suicide bombers to stop. Because they, for those of you that don't know, their sick interpretation of of the Quran tells them that, you know, once they die in this fashion, once they commit jihad, they will be greeted with uh, 72 versions in heaven, which sounds like, sounds like, I don't know, it doesn't sound appealing. It sounds like, 
fuck, I gotta show you and teach you what to do? Like, fuck, who wants that? Um, <laughs> but yeah. Um, so yeah, that's a funny, funny picture. Anyway, but what happened, obviously, these terror attacks and all that are, is really not funny. And is, is just sickening and disheartening. And my heart goes out to everyone that's been touched and affected by these atrocities and like i said i wrote this piece after the charlie Hebdo thing and i think it applies still as well so the title of it is called the religious fog machine and i kind of wrote it like i don't know like speaking to one of these individuals that commit these um jihads these acts of jihad and i wrote Again with this intolerance, this foggy mass psychosis perpetuated by religious neurosis. Why impose this? What part of you really feels if it's wait, what what part of you really feels as if it's okay? What part of you feels that sending someone on their way because they don't see things in the same way are just? You need a psychological lobotomy. The haze that's created by the fog machine that is your religion has you gassed up. Do you honestly, objectively believe that this is what he, she, it wants? If so, why isn't it what was wanted of your victim? What a sadistic, terrifyingly sad existence. May your victim's face seem to be filled with elation in comparison to yours when you're confronted with your reality. May your version of the heavens be a suffocating melody of fire and rain until that evil is slain. And I wrote that on Wednesday, January 28th, 2015 at 11.02 p.m. And yeah, like I said, I mean, I think that speaks for itself. And you're all pieces of shit. And what you're doing is horrible. And I hope that you do realize it in the most powerful, painful way possible when you do. It doesn't have to be physically painful, maybe just emotionally Maybe you fucking flip out and disgust at yourself and go out of your fucking minds or something. But it's just has to stop. It's ridiculous. These are the fucking types of people that are unnecessary, that aren't, that should be getting the fucking death penalties and life sentences and, and fucking, not nonviolent drug offenders. <laughs> yeah, if there was a, I don't know, I don't, I don't have 
obviously the answers for for it, but these are the pieces of shit that just need to not exist. And I guess you can make the argument that that type of thinking is the thinking that they have, and that's why we're in the situation uh, to begin with. But it's really not. I don't. I don't think that somebody that draws something deserves to die, no matter you know if they're drawing SWAT stickers or whatever the fuck they're drawing. You know, it's a fucking drawing. But when you're killing people and hurting people and and perpetuating terror like that like yeah you deserve to get fucking torn limb from limb thrown at the dogs fucking exploded you deserve to disappear yeah that i absolutely do agree with (sighs) so i guess that ends the episode on a heavy note but that's all folks that is episode number 35 of the spun today podcast and to support the podcast since christmas is coming up you guys could do something very very big two huge things that you can do if you want to give me a christmas gift my address is um, let me stop um what you guys can do to support the podcast is rate and review the podcast on itunes and stitcher those are the biggest best things you guys can do second to that which helps out the podcast financially is Christmas is coming up. Do all your Christmas shopping. Well, not all of it, but you could do a lot of it online and do it through my affiliate links at sponsor.com forward slash affiliate links. You find banners there for iTunes, for Amazon. And, um, you know, you do your shopping in any, any of those sites and just, you know, click through my, my portals there, my little banners and I get a referral fee from those companies just for sending you over to them. And it doesn't add anything to any any additional cost to anything that you purchase. And it helps out the podcast financially, which would be great, greatly appreciated. But definitely rate and review the podcast on iTunes and or Stitcher. Let me know what you guys think. Reach out to me, as always, through the website at spontane.com forward slash contact. You can sign up to the newsletter there. Uh, you can shoot me over an email. And... Uh, you can also contact me on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash spun today. And as always, hit me up on Twitter and Instagram at spun today on both of those. And what else? Uh, if you want to purchase like some some of my photography and stuff like that, I give it away as Christmas gifts. You can do so by going to created, C-R-A-T-E-D dot com forward slash spun today. You can print out posters, frames, and a bunch of different sizes available there for your purchasing pleasure and that's pretty much it guys as always substitute the mysticism with hard work and start taking steps in the general direction of your dreams thanks for listening